to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you can join us today. We are going to be talking about last life lessons for older adults and their families, and that is something I think really near and dear to my heart as a, as a daughter who's lost both of her parents in, in getting organized and having honest conversations. And we're going to do that today with Amy Miller. But before I introduce her to you, we always have new listeners to the show. So one, I want to say welcome. And if you're wondering what we're all about, Alzheimer's Speaks is about having real conversations with real people all around the world at all levels. So our guests are diagnosed with dementia, we have families on, we have advocates, researchers, and a wide, wide variety of businesses. Um, and the only thing that we ask is that we have a respectful, honest conversation. Um, but this is True Talk Radio. <clears throat> we have up to an hour. Sometimes we fill it, sometimes we don't. Today we are live, so if you'd like to call in, that number is 323 870 4602. That's 323-870-4602. And again, we're going to want to stick to the topic about um, planning for end of life, you know, for families having these discussions. Also, I also want to give a shout out to the uh, Mark Arneson Band. They're the ones that uh, sang Clarion Call for our opening music, and I so appreciate them letting us use that. And uh, if you haven't checked out our updated website, it's alzheimerspeaks.com, but it will look very different. It's so much uh, easier to maneuver. In fact, we have one page full of a variety of free educational resources, so don't miss that. There you'll find the radio, dementia chats, um, quick tips, um, poetry, um, events, all kinds of different things. And of course, you'll be able to access Dementia Map there too, which is a global resource directory, which is ideal for both families and professionals to find resources. And if you have a resource, uh, please list it on there. Uh, we don't put anybody in who doesn't know. We want people who are going to respond to to those looking and um you know, you can have a free listing or you can have an enhanced one. And if you'd like a tour, just reach out to me. I would be glad to do that. Um, I did mention on our website we do have um, an event section and kind of what's, what's coming up. I do have a upcoming program uh, that's open to the public Tuesday, September 20th called Realities of Dementia. And we're going to give out a bunch of family-friendly tools and tips. It is sponsored by Artist Senior Living, and anyone um, is welcome to attend that. It will be virtual. You can register by going to theartistway.com forward slash webinar. 
And let's see, who else do I want to give a shout out to? Oh, Saltbox TV, if you haven't checked them out, please go ahead and do that. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and we will be right back. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the footbar walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. If you haven't checked out the Adaptive um, Equipment and Caregiver Corner, please do so. They have so many great resources and a bunch, and I mean a bunch, of videos that help you um, learn more about certain pieces of equipment or how to adapt it to your house, how to install it. Uh, just such a, such a great, great resource. Now, we are going to be talking with Amy Miller today, and she's going to guide us to living a full life um, all the way to the very end. And Amy is the founder of Our Family Encounter, and she is the author of The Last Lesson, which is a guide for seniors and their families to help them um, when they're in that kind of forgotten middle and with their, their end-of-life plans, how do you have those discussions? And again, we are live today, so feel free to call in at 323-870-4602. So welcome, Amy. How are you doing today? I am great, and thank you so much for inviting me to join you today, Lori. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. I don't think we can have this conversation enough. I, I think it's just such an extremely important one, and I know it's an uncomfortable one uh, for many, but boy, are they glad they have this conversation about what are somebody's wants and needs. It just makes it so much easier as as we age and um, as we progress through life. Now, before I get into my line of questions, I always like to ask if you've been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends. Yes, actually, my dad was diagnosed with early onset dementia, Alzheimer's, I believe, gosh, maybe in his early 60s. And he ended up passing away at 74. So it was it was a, a um, it was a personal experience. Uh, unfortunately, he lived down in Arizona and Vermont, and I'm in Minnesota, so I didn't get to see him very often. Uh, but knowing that he was living with this disease for a long time was something that uh, maybe because he lived with it for so long, it was very gradual. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was really impactful in, on how it 
how he managed things from, you know, working to retiring to uh, doing personal and daily daily care issues, uh, you know, making those decisions early on because he had the time, he was able to make some decisions, I believe, that benefited him um, with his decisions on aging. Mm-hmm. Well, we all want to be in control of our life, and I find it really interesting that people clam up having a conversation about end of life because that is such a critical, critical piece, um, and you still want control of that. You you know, it's so important for people to know. So I'm glad that you were able to have that conversation, you know, with your own dad. Um, why do you feel it's so important to be proactive about planning for the end of life, Amy? Well, one of the things professionally is if you put it off and then you get the diagnosis of dementia, legally you lose your ability to make decisions. And I don't know if that can be stated clear enough, meaning you need to have someone else speak for you if you have that diagnosis. That means financial, legal, and health care matters. But in addition to that, it means that there is a long progression of Losing daily decision-making, I mean, obviously can take a long time, but, uh, you know, where if people know ahead of time what your wishes are and they've been authorized to speak for you, they can follow your wishes because you've had those conversations ahead of time. Starting the conversation can be hard, but knowing what someone really wants in their heart, how they want to be honored ends up providing peace of mind to the family members or to Mm -hmm. your trusted advisors on how to handle whatever the situation is that might be coming up. Yeah, I I agree with you. The conversation for some can be hard. I I found it really enlightening when I did it with my own folks. Um, But, you know, what we did, and I don't know if you recommend this to people or if you've seen other families do this, but we did it together. So I didn't ask them to do anything that that myself and my husband weren't going to do in terms of having a conversation and getting paperwork in order. And that seemed to alleviate their fears and make it not feel so so end of life. You're going to die. That's why we're doing this. You know, it, 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 it turned more into this is just smart living. And you need to do this for your, not only yourself, but your loved ones. Right. And and I see that because like, I'm not ready to have that conversation or it's all about the money or it's, you know, people have their reasons. But having an opportunity, and that's why I called my book The Last Life Lesson, it actually comes from uh, scripture in the uh, Bible that basically says that son doesn't know what to do unless the father teaches him. So mm-hmm. when you think of how am I going to die, creating that legacy, we think of, okay, am I going to follow what my parents did? Will I be doing that too? I think traditionally that's what many people do. Uh, but some people are saying, no, I want to do something different than what my parents did for whatever reason. But knowing, I think where I'm seeing some things happen, and I and when I talk to my friends and I go, yeah, there was no plan. We didn't know what to do. It ended up causing a lot of angst and division within the family. On mm-hmm. where do we have the ceremony? Um, 
Do they want to be cremated or buried? Um, who gets the dining room table? I mean, it's amazing what people will fight over if they don't have your wishes in mind or they don't have an expectation. Uh, mm-hmm. So getting those getting those ideas and those, um, whether it's for health care or whether it's finances or legal, knowing what someone's wishes are can save your family a lot of angst and, and division. Oh, um, I, I I agree. I agree. And it's and it's hard too. I know with my mom, for example, she you know she had dementia, um, but we went through you know who does she want you know to give certain pieces and stuff too. And I remember her saying, "I want you to have all the jewelry." And I thought, "I'm not having all the jewelry, mom. That's going to cause problems." <laughs> you know, and and um, I, I see the writing on the wall with that one. And she she was just really really adamant. And I have to say, I'm always one to, you know, really try to to work with with what somebody wants. But I was so uncomfortable with it. It's like, okay, now it's mine, but I'm going to give it away, and I'm going to give it away like mom was giving it away just to try to keep the family calm because, um, and again, it it went against her wishes, which is the whole, I mean, the whole reason you do this is to get the wishes correct. Um, but I also thought with her dementia, um because she was dealing with that, and even though she was very social, I don't think she understood the dynamics of that decision and what that would mean um, to the rest of the people in the family. And and so I I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, if I was really wrong, but I, I viewed it like, okay, she's gifting it to me, and I can do with it what I want at that point. And I just thought it was really important for others to have pieces of it. Um, have you heard of people doing things like that? I have, and I think your story is such a beautiful story of, you know, finding a way to share really within the mindset of what your mother's wishes would have been. Uh, you know, sometimes they say it's okay, it's about the, the the jewelry or it could be the furniture. A lot of times what people don't realize, it's not about the thing, it's about the memory. Mm-hmm. And when people re- realize that the objects of our lives are about the memories that we have, mm-hmm. some people say, okay, yeah, you can have the clothes in my closet. And I know many people go, no, I don't want mm-hmm. that. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it's, maybe there was something special. You know, maybe she purposely bought that dress so she could go to your, your you know, your child's graduation or uh, that was, she had a fun time with her friends um, doing an activity, and that was something that she always wore, like that bracelet or something. So mm-hmm. understanding that there are memories or there are um, values to your parent or to your loved one that relates to that item mm-hmm. helps to understand, okay, why was this provided to me versus my sibling? Um, in other cases, it could say, uh, you know, everything gets donated to a charity. Uh, that For many people, that becomes really important that they have a charity that, that means a lot to them. And so knowing that they have that option to donate directly to a charity is another way to really celebrate uh, the life or what's important to someone. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, and I think that that's a really important point of why something was given, um, because a lot of people don't do that. I had uh, one woman, her name was uh, Susan Session, who was part of our dementia staff, and she was living with dementia. And she said it was really hard for her to downsize, you know, and she ended up moving in with her her sister, and, you know, she was very appreciative of all that. But she basically wrote on the back of every item, and it was just a few phrases, but when she bought it, why she bought it, and who she wanted to give it to. And mm. it, it gave them a history, you know, so that they knew what it meant to her, why why it was important to her. And she said it also helped when people wanted to weed through her stuff and um, and just toss, you know, they could stop and go, okay, this really is important to her. She took the time to put this behind the picture or, you know, under the, under the, the um, you know, decoration, you know, whatever it might be. But um, this was important that she took the time to do this. And I think so often we don't talk about why we have our stuff. What is it? What does it mean to us? Um, what are our memories attached to that? And that might not mean anything to the next person. You need to know your person too. Um, I, I'll, I'll give an example in in my own family. Um, when my folks went to go do their will, they put my brother, my older brother, in charge of pulling the plug if that was ever a decision, because they said he's not going to have a hard time doing that. You and Scott will. And so that was their decision behind that because they knew the personality. You know, he he wasn't a real sentimental person, you know, overall. Not that he didn't love my folks. He just loved them differently, you know, than myself and my little brother did. But I think that makes a big a big difference, too, when someone is making those decisions. Um, who do they think will? appreciate something probably has a lot to do with why they chose to give give something to them in the first place. Um, Do you see those discussions coming up in families often or, or or do you see it more as just a task of what people do? So what I've been seeing, and this is maybe not exactly about like pulling the plug, but Mm -hmm. what I've been seeing and especially in the last year or two is, family members going into the hospital and in the emergency room and, you know, of course, hospitals will go to next of kin unless someone's been designated as a healthcare agent. Now, mm-hmm. the point of the healthcare agent isn't just this or the healthcare directive is to say, okay, these are the wishes that I have. Mm-hmm. But I was actually given really great advice from an attorney who said, the healthcare directive is really important to have. So you have someone to speak for you for your medical decisions and to provide that direction on, do I want to be resuscitated? Do I want to be um, intubated? Do I want to have certain medications or certain types of treatment? Or like you said, to have the plug done, you know, Mm -hmm. to be let go. Uh, But what they said is instead of making the decisions, you can have that conversation privately with that person Mm-hmm. But have someone to be able to speak on your behalf based at the time. And the example that I've been given is if you say, I do, I want to be resuscitated. Well, that means they have to do hard chest compressions on your heart so you can get your heart beating again, right? If you're, you know, young and 
fit and everything, Russians can, you know, do, you know, they can get, they're hard though, but they, they, your bones are not brittle. But let's say you're 80 years old and you've been diagnosed with osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Those heart compressions can break your bones. Mm-hmm. So being able to have someone speak for you at the time, uh, have that person designate at the time to speak for you based on the situation you're in mm-hmm. is very valuable. Uh, so kind of taking it back to knowing who the person is, what their personality is, will they honor your wishes? Um, everyone says, well, it has to be someone within my family. Not necessarily. It can be uh, someone else that you know and trust. Um, mm-hmm. Others are concerned that the person that they choose may uh, may pass away before they do. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can go down to the next generation or ask for a niece or a nephew or uh, someone else that you know and trust. Uh, you know, many times people will put a a third party in as a secondary advisor, like a fiduciary mm-hmm. or a, an insurance broker or, I mean, that's one of the things I'm offering in my business is to have someone be like a secondary emergency contact so we know your wishes. So the family who, like you were saying with you and your brother, can have a third party to go, okay, what do we do in this circumstance? How do we handle this? Um, mm-hmm. What does this mean when we're in this conversation? To have someone who knows your wishes that can kind of be that that advisor saying this is how you would like to handle that situation. So mm-hmm. it does mean having those deep conversations and going, okay, how would I like to handle certain circumstances with someone and then bring them in and document what who that person is or document what those wishes are. So your family members can go to that document and go, okay, you like the color blue. Okay, we will make sure that we have you surrounded by blue because that's your favorite color or these are your favorite songs that you like to listen to. Mm-hmm. And things like that. Sometimes those little details can just be a comfort to you maybe when you're not realizing you need that comfort. And it's also a comfort mm-hmm. to your family members and your loved ones. Yeah. You know, we should talk about just the, the you know, highlight the documents that you recommend that, that people – get put in place and maybe some conversations, um, titles that that you think that they should have? Well, I, I usually call end-of-life planning is like a three-legged stool. So we have like the legal documents, so health care directives, a will or a trust, uh, your financial plan is the th- second one, so making sure you have the funds to pay for things. Uh, and then the third, of course, is your um, – your funeral planning, which having that at least decided. Some people say, yeah, pay for it or have a, a insurance policy that will cover the cost. I actually like the idea of making sure you earmark and you save that money and put it into a special account so you're earning the interest off that money, not somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just one of the things I recommend for my clients. But those are the three big topics. What we don't talk about is housing. So if you can't live in your home, where else will you live? That's a big topic right now. Uh, mm-hmm. How are you staying active and socialized and how are you interacting with your community and you know, pursuing hobbies and things that you love to do? Uh, we also have the, um, the conversation about 
your legacy? What do you want to leave behind? It kind of going back to the, the marking those notes and putting them back or identifying them on your um, your pictures or your um, other memorabilia. Is mm-hmm. That also tells a story to your family. So it's part of creating that legacy. Or some people I know do um, video. I think I call them a Vimery. A friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, his name is Dietrich Neeson. He does video um, recordings. So people mm-hmm. can have a recording of mom and dad sharing their favorite stories. So those are the, you know, the things that really are, go beyond just the basic legal, financial, and funeral plan. It really uh, flushes out what your ideal plan is for your for yourself and for your loved ones. What, like I said, go back to that last life lesson. What do you want other people to know about you and your life? Yep. So legal, you've got power of attorney, health care directives, um, your will, and your trust. And one thing I, I'll mention in there, and I don't know if you've used this or not, but Compassion and Choices has a great addendum to um, healthcare directives. It really helps people think through the what ifs. And there's, I wanna say there's like five different levels of care. And you can say, if I'm this, I want this level of care. But if I have two of these, you know, this mixture, I want this level of care. It really lets you identify, or maybe you have three of these and now that changes your mind in terms of how you wanna live your life. And I, I, I think it's really helpful, dementia or not. They have it under dementia tools, but you know, so many things can happen to us if we get in a car accident or have a stroke or cancer. Um, a lot of these things aren't dementia related, they're just body related and um, will make a big, a big difference there. And like you mentioned, having a financial plan to make sure that you can cover what your wishes are. Um, is really important. I know with funeral planning, a lot of times, um, depending on where somebody's at, if they're going to need assistance down the line, you know, I've always heard that they need to purchase that ahead of time. But, you know, don't do it until you have to. You know, if you've got the money and tuck it away and get the interest yourself, I think that that's, that's a smart thing. And I think people would be surprised how many people don't know if somebody wants to be cremated or buried or do they want a celebration? Do they want a formal service? Um, over COVID, I saw a lot of people just deciding they didn't want anything. And, um, you know, or what do they, if they are cremated, what do they want done with their ashes? And those are, those don't seem like big things until all of a sudden you need the answers. And then, you know, excuse my language, and you're like, oh, shit, we never had that conversation. You know, I, I really I really don't know. Or you're talking in the family and somebody says, well, I told, they told me this. Well, they told me this. And now you don't really know what was actually said or are people saying what they're comfortable with. Because that sometimes happens in families, too, I've seen, where maybe the conversation wasn't actually had, but it was really about the comfort of of those who who remain behind. Absolutely. And that, I think you just made a mention, funerals are not, honestly, they're not for you. They're Mm -hmm. for your loved ones. Mm -hmm. So it's how they can say goodbye to you and and hold your memory and honor what you meant to them. Yeah. Uh, So that's, you know, go find me a daffodil patch. I'm good. Just send me there. but I've had other people say, I mean, because there's some really interesting, some pretty creative ways that people are 
are handling end of life. You know, it mm-hmm. could be um, it could be turned into a a gem, a diamond. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of fascinating until you realize that can go to one child, but you have three children. Okay, who gets who gets to carry you around? <laughs> yeah, and yep. that, that one we talked through, and we're like, oh, that's not a real good idea. Um, another, uh, you know, story I've heard is someone made mention that, um, you know, the outfit that they wanted mom to be buried in mm-hmm. and a different outfit was chosen that day. Mm-hmm. So that, I don't think those, those two siblings have talked to each other since. And you think, okay, that is such a, like, you know, not a big deal. And yet to those two siblings, it was a mm-hmm. really big deal. Oh, so huge it's deal. having little things like you think, okay, what outfit or um, do you want to be honored? Do you want to be buried at sea? And maybe you're a veteran and you realize they can bury you at sea. And it's mm-hmm. no cost to your family. It may take some time before they can arrange it because just due to, uh, you know, the requirements of the Veterans Administration. But knowing that that's the way you want to be honored there are so many different ways that we need to allow for those conversations to have. And I'm going to be straight up. The cost oftentimes determines behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people realize that a burial on average can cost between 4000 to $50,000, mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a shock. Well, I believe the average cost of a, uh, a cremation is around thirty five hundred, mm-hmm. uh, but they can be done for as little as nine hundred dollars. Yep. So if people are not thinking, okay, you know, do I want to have the party? Well, maybe I want to have a barbecue in my backyard. You know, people are doing all sorts of different things. Um, but the biggest thing is that it is a way for people to celebrate you. Exactly. Exactly. You had um, mentioned, you know, you know, being turned into a gem. One thing that I really, really like, and and I was lucky enough to be able to do this with my mom before she passed, but it's uh, fingerprint jewelry, and it's called First Impressions, and it's actually uh, it was kind of funny because it was my jeweler who who did this, uh, Jake Furman. Um, and it's you can reach out to him at info at jewelrythatmatters.com. He's in uh, Little Canada, but they've got stuff in jewelry stores all over, but it's fingerprint jewelry. And mm-hmm. you can ha- you can have it as a necklace, a keychain, a rubbing stone. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate having that because, like, when I'm in deep thought as a daughter or I'm at a crossroads, I just sit and I rub that and I talk to my mom. And kind of mm. wait for wait for answers, and and it's not that expensive. I mean, for some it it may be, but um, it's something that can be done for everybody. And again, it doesn't have to be an end of life. It can be for a birth. It can be for you know someone going in the service. It can be for weddings. It can be, you know. So sometimes people just associate something with end of life, and you know, end of life is about all of life. You know, to me, that's how I look at it. Um, and, you know, it should be in, inclusive with that. You know, you had mentioned about housing and, and what if a person can't live at home? You know, where do they go? What are their options? Well, and you, it, you, there's 
this is I've been fascinated by this topic because for many people it's culturally well I'm going to live with my oldest son, oldest daughter, but typically the oldest son, and or the one that lives closest by. But our society has changed so much in the last, you know, 20 years. I mean, people are not living close to their to their parents anymore, and many uh, seniors are choosing to live half the year in another community, you know, and, you know, being in Minnesota, we need to get out in the wintertime. <laughs> so, um, you know, some people are saying, I want to do international an international retirement. People are really creative with how they want to do retirement. So they're no longer close to their family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, but meanwhile, the assisted living homes, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the state of Minnesota, I'm just going to share something current locally to the uh, payroll and the the cost of everything. And I got mm-hmm. this information from Leading Age Minnesota. So this isn't my information. I read it from them. They're predicting that 400, up to 450 assisted living homes are slated to close probably or be sold in the next year. And that, doesn't that even- is shocking. And that doesn't even talk about nursing homes and and uh, memory cares. I mean, the the strain on our uh, healthcare system is significant, and exactly. we yes. really have to have these conversations. And we really need to be able to train families in terms of, you know, how do you care and and give them the support. Like right now, too. There's there's no uh, I shouldn't say there's no there's not much left of our respite care programs for families to get a break either and right so it's going to be really really interesting what happens and and here in Minnesota because uh, we're both from here uh, we've been extremely lucky in you know in terms of what we have here. Um, and what we've had for so long compared to so many other states. And like you said, we're we're in for some big changes, big, big changes. We are. We are. And like you said, how do we prepare families for that? Because that becomes the question of, if I can't live at home, where do I live? Well, everyone's been like, oh, the assisted living home. <laughs> yeah. You know, independent living, 55-plus community, you know, live on your own, Mom. <laughs> Yeah, um, but in truth, a lot of people are sitting down, going, "You know, we need to make room for mom and dad at home." You know that multi generational yep. home is becoming very popular. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, is the training: how to properly lift somebody, how to um, do personal care, and you know, it's one of my passion topics: is engaging sons and grandsons and son-in-laws into how do you care for dad point in time just i'm just going to go with the traditional family mom may have a hard time handling dad mm-hmm. and who else can you know if he falls down who's going to be strong enough to lift him up uh so this is a conversation really for everyone to start thinking about uh how do we handle this and i was talking to a gentleman who said you know i can't you know he came from greece and he says we always had the tradition that the teenagers, when they were home, they were always hanging around grandma and grandpa. Mm-hmm. And that's what the teenagers did is, mm-hmm. you know, with school, but in their other activities. But 
they had a great relationship with their grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I think, gosh, that's that's a great way to engage the whole family. And it's not just one person's job to do all of the caregiving. Now, the other thing is we have, and I don't know if uh, going into some details here, but probably one of the largest demographics that's changing is what I call the solo senior. I get that from Linda Camp, mm-hmm. who kind of named solo seniors. Uh, and those are who are aging, unmarried, and without children. So where do they go? And I, traditionally, it would be they would go in with, they would move in with family, you know, brothers mm-hmm. and sisters or nieces and nephews. That may have to become a consideration or communities. I know in Minneapolis, there's a the um, communities where they're looking out for each other. And so they have, they're starting to create those engagements where as neighbors, they have a great communication where they really look out for each other. I know with my dad, when he was down in um, Arizona, it was always great to, while well, I was down there visiting, it was great to see how their friends would just come by and make sure they had something going on every day. Everybody was mm-hmm. checking in on everybody else. Uh, so that is, there's a dynamic there that needs to be supported and developed. Um, yeah, but I, I also I want agree. I also want to put out the point that oftentimes that becomes an unpaid volunteer role. And something I would like to just really bring out to the forefront is that family members or people can create a family caregiving agreement and then they can arrange to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you know, personal care or grocery shopping or, uh, you know, anything else that comes in with the caregiving, you can pay like you would a PCA, a personal care assistant. Um, now, one of the things you can do is you can gift, and this is how you can make it work, is I think the IRS guidelines is you can gift up to $16,000 a year mm-hmm. without having to worry about taxes or anything like that, unless you want to hire somebody specifically. Uh, so they can qualify for benefits as well because people sometimes have to leave their jobs. So there's no mm-hmm. income, no benefits, and no retirement. Mm-hmm. And the other family members are oblivious to what's going on, so they're not aware of the stress and the strain, both physically, emotionally, but also financially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can promise you when you do pass away, they're there waiting for the dispersal from the trust or the will to be announced. Um so I, I like that idea of giving the people who are giving your care, making sure that they get the funds to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then to make make it so it's um, it's identified again, it's document. So that's where like a care a care record, a record of care would come in, so everyone also knows what's going on. And uh-huh. then with that record of care, should you ever need to qualify for elderly waiver. That can be submitted as to why did I gift my family member sixteen thousand dollars? I'm just using that as an example for my care. Then the counties who are looking at your request for elderly waiver can go, okay, I can see that that was given for the care that you've been provided, and that becomes mm-hmm. additional documentation. So mm-hmm. they don't start looking at you like you're financially exploiting your parent or your mm-hmm. your um, the person you're giving care for. So that's a solution I'm seeing them putting out there, and that's also part of my my book, The Last Life Lesson. Yeah, that's a um, – gosh, there's so many comments um, in terms of how we, how we work with all of this. It just is absolutely 
fascinating with all the changes that are happening. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I don't even know what to what to say, but there, these are conversations that are extremely important, and people do need to they they need to talk about these things, and they need to get these uh, these things uh, squared away because, uh, and as communities, they need to look at different types of housing. Like you said, in Minneapolis, there's a few. I know there's one where um, it's a house basically for women um, to share, you know, a home, and everybody kind of pitches in. Uh, there's another one that's intergenerational and has been really great for people who maybe have transferred here and are away from families, and now they have, you know, um, kind of surrogate grandparents and aunts and uncles, you know, in the building to help support them. I, I just think, yeah, we have to look at things very, very differently. And with, you know, just with the economics of things and the times we're in, things have gotten expensive with the inflation, with the jobs, with the illness and vulnerabilities of being around people. And there's a lot of different variables. And then, like you said, mentioning a lot of resources that once were aren't going to be. And then, you know, what's going to happen to those those individuals living in those places? Um, because most families have already had that discussion on where they're going to live. And now they're going to be, everyone's back's going to be against the wall. And you almost wonder if we're going to end up going back to state hospital type situations and, and you know, putting people away. It's, there, there's a lot of scary things out there right now. Um, and that's why the public needs to be aware and needs to get involved and get educated and let their voice be heard for how they want to handle things. I, I loved when you mentioned about the teenagers getting involved because I think so many families don't include the kids in this conversation of what's going on. And I think that to me, that's a critical, critical piece. It's a great life learning tool set for them to have and to be able to understand. But so often they don't understand why the dynamics of the family have changed. And sometimes they think it's they did something wrong. And and parents a lot of times, you know, when they've got kids at home and caring for, for elderly parents, you know, they're not seeing that that piece and that dynamic and and what kind of effect it's having on their kids. Um, and themselves. Everyone's just busy being busy doing more than what they can handle and trying to be responsible and, and instead of approaching it as a team sport kind of thing. Um, so great, great points uh, that you that you have there. Let's talk a little bit about, um, I can't believe we've, we've only got about 15 minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about legacy, and then I want to come back to your book and really kind of focus on that and um, how that can help people. But let's talk about creating legacy and, and you know, reflecting wishes uh, through that a little, in a little bit more detail, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Yeah, legacy is, I think people think that's like an afterthought. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the stories that Grandma said at Thanksgiving 12 years ago. <laughs> but mm-hmm. in fact, legacy is something that it actually becomes who you are. I mean, everyone loves to talk about, okay, my last name is, or my family came from, uh, and or, you know, just so many things about who we are is based on who and how our parents live. 
Mm-hmm. So putting a little bit of intention behind that can really be transformative. And again, it's not about you. It's about the impact you've made at this time. I mean, I think of like, what's it like to live in 2022? I mean, this is going to be like, you know, epic, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you don't think about what's that like to have lived through 2022. Mm-hmm. And how will future generations think about what done by living in, at this time? Or um, who you, you know, who you were, how did you do things? Um, and I think being able to say, okay, here's pictures. This is, you know, pictures. We love our pictures. We love our videos. Um, being able to gather those things and be able to say, this is what's important to me. These are my my lessons I've learned when I was a young kid, whether it's, you know, why do I save tinfoil or reuse, you know, old jars or why did I do canning or fix my own, you know, do my own oil changes. Mm-hmm. That sometimes can be like, okay, that's, those are the things you remember about somebody, mm-hmm. not necessarily about, uh, you know, what their job was or, or, you know, all the places that they visited. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's who do you, what lessons do you want to pass on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the whole process of how you plan and prepare is the probably the most important lesson that you pass on. Exactly. Exactly. I I agree. I think that that is of critical, critical importance. And, you know, the, these conversations, I'm so glad you were on today because this conversation is so important on so many levels. And, you know, we live in a very anxious society. And when you add these big decisions, on top of this, you know, when when someone is chronically ill or let's say they got in a car accident, it was, it was totally a surprise. You know, this is a support system that you're building by creating these documents and having these conversations. This is to lessen anxiety, make people feel more comfortable so that they can celebrate your life instead of second-guessing themselves. Um, and to me, that's a, that's a major, major gift. That you're giving people, you know, when you do, when you're willing to do that, when you're willing to take the time, and and granted, it's some, it can be some expense. Um, some of the forms, you know, like a a power of attorney and a healthcare directive, some of that stuff, you know, you can do independently. Um, I know any attorney out there will tell you they don't suggest you do that, but many people have them and they're just looking at updating them and they're not necessarily, in my opinion, overly complicated. Um, and if that's a place where you have to cut some, um, cut some, some money to save, you know, some of those forms are downloadable. I know you could download a, a will and do that yourself. I, I wouldn't recommend that one at all. And, and maybe I feel a little more comfortable with the POA and the healthcare directive just because I was in real estate for 25 years and we dealt you know, with with some of those things um, more than more than the average bear, um, but there's a lot of educational programs and, and uh, steps you can go through to to learn about those, or even getting you know talking with your doctor um, through like the healthcare directives and and so forth. There too, uh, you know, ideally it's always nice to have a professional review these things, 
but sometimes it's not always possible for people. What do you recommend when the when the funds aren't there to to have assistance with some of this stuff? Right, when the funds aren't there, uh, and this just to kind of give some gauge of what are funds. Uh, if someone has, I think it's a net value of under seventy five thousand uh, dollars. The big thing is you don't have to go through probate. So that really is the trigger is what is it not so much what do you have now it's what are you leaving uh so whether it's you know so that's one of those trigger points is around seventy five thousand uh, dollars is, is that in minnesota or is that throughout the nation just to I, would clarify? Say, I would say that's probably fairly safe across the country mm-hmm. um globally i'm not sure what the that would equate to but i would say seventy five thousand give or take, and again, I'm not an attorney, so I can't tell you exactly what what the mm-hmm. line is, but at that point in time, probate is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you get over that, that's where doing a will or a trust really comes in, because if you do have assets to pass on, if you can identify who gets those assets and you have, you spend the, any, I think anywhere between, you know, 1000 uh, to 10000 um, mm-hmm. Depending on who you go to, I mean, I think you know, good attorneys will do it closer to four to five thousand. But to get a trust done saves time and money for the next generation or for your mm-hmm. executor. Mm-hmm. So having kind of that longer-term view of it's not just for today, but it's for what will it take to pass on your estate? Because so many people stop this conversation at the end, at at your death, at the mm-hmm. funeral, and then it's like everything just magically disappears. Mm-hmm. I hate to say having, you know, I was my mom's executor and she had a very simple estate, but mm-hmm. that conversation, especially when it's after mom and dad passed away, mm-hmm. that the executor conversation is, I mean, it takes what, it could take six months to close down an estate. Some estates take many, many years mm-hmm. and it can be a very hard job with very little support. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Thinking strategically based on the circumstances that you're in is the advice I tend to give. So it's based on where are you at, what do you have, and then thinking long-term, how do I pass that legacy that I want to have on mm-hmm. and make it as easy as possible for my executor? Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a you, – you, oftentimes that's a family member who does it or you hire it out to an administrator or fiduciary – uh, you know, if you don't have immediate family members that you've designated to do that role. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to say there's one thing to do. I would say it really depends on what are your circumstances, what are your mm-hmm. wishes, and um, how do you make that all come together so it's a strategic plan, basically. Yep, yep. Well, and people have to understand, too, like a power of attorney is for when you're alive and once you pass, that's no good. Um, if you're only concerned about, you know, what's going to happen while you're alive, a healthcare directive probably is your is your priority <laughs> in terms of that, and the other things will well, fall in. Mm-hmm. Not to interrupt, but healthcare directive for healthcare decisions, power of attorney for financial and legal decisions. They're not the mm-hmm. same role. And Correct. I'm just going to the reason why I clarify this is because hospitals will try to call your power of attorney your healthcare power of attorney. 
which mm-hmm. is really not a legal term. <laughs> they try to merge the roles. <laughs> and so that's where your healthcare agent, and it goes by other terms in other states, uh, mm-hmm. but they speak just for your healthcare decisions only. And mm-hmm. then having a power of attorney for your legal and financial decisions. And having someone identified to be able to speak for you when you cannot speak for yourself, I don't know if people understand how important that is, especially when you're someone who's – and you have to do that before you get diagnosed with dementia because after you get diagnosed with dementia, your your loved ones have to go through a whole other process, guardianship and conservatorship, depending on – and, again, I'm not an attorney, so typically it's guardianship to be able to make decisions for you. So it, it that is extremely important that you make those decisions while there's time. You know, do it early enough. And then review it every, you know, five years. But make sure that that is done because once you lose the ability to speak for yourself because you've been diagnosed with dementia, that takes all of your decision-making power away. Well, and that's a really fine line because it, it's, it isn't black and white out there. There are a lot of people that are still signing that doctors are saying they're competent to sign, depending on the type of dementia and how it's, uh, how it's pertaining to them. And so um, every attorney looks at that a little different, but it's not a black and white thing because some people are diagnosed with dementia and they're still able to work and they're still able to drive. Um, Absolutely. It, and so, you know, again, important to know these things, though, definitely. Now, what can people expect to find in in your book? We've got about five minutes left, and I want to make sure that we, we talk about that for you. Absolutely. So the book is basically a handbook, I guess I would call it. It covers the different topics of finances, legal, housing, um, socialization, end of life, legacy. Uh, There's a chapter in there for veterans and a chapter in there for solos. Uh, And also a checklist for executors on all the things you have to do and when to do them. Mm -hmm. That's part one. And then part two, I really go into a lot more detail into a family caregiving agreement. And then for those who have a little bit more um, assets, let's say, $500,000 500000 to $2 million in assets, I've created a hybrid solution uh, because I'm really looking for a solution for what I call the forgotten middle. Um, now, to clarify the forgotten middle, those are the ones who do not qualify for government support through Medicare and those who are wealthy enough that they can hire their own advisors. Uh, so I, it's about half of the senior population or those over 65. Uh, they don't know what to do. So the idea of the family caregiving uh, agreement and the LLC that that I'm putting out there is a way for you to take care of your caregiving, take care of your housing, and then be able to pass on the assets or preserve your assets for as long as possible. So that's not how you're making decisions. It's not based on what can you afford. Mm-hmm. But what you, what do you really want in your life? And then if you mm-hmm. can pass on a legacy, how can you do that? Okay. Okay. Well, good. And now you also have a case that they can purchase kind of for documents and so forth as I well? I do. Yeah. So at the end of every chapter, I have like a little checklist of the documents you need to gather. And the purpose of that is for your executor. So 
when you do pass away, because unfortunately that is one thing we can all count on, your executors come in, grab what I call it's a legacy box. It's basically an expandable file where you put all your documents in there. So they have the information they need, and they're not searching around your house for your bank statements and your tax return and, oh, even more important, the keys to security box mm-hmm. at the bank. <laughs> um, because those that saves them time and money. And then the second half of the document is for the executor to use to file everything when they file your taxes and, and uh, close out all your um, – you know, pay off all your bills and things of that nature. So it's got like a twofold purpose to it, which is the planning and then the closing. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And to get to your website, they would just go to um, your or um, ourfamilyencounter.com, ourfamilyencounter.com. Uh, same, they can find you on LinkedIn as Our Family Encounter. Um, any other contact information you'd like to give people? Uh, absolutely. As well, both those. Um, I'd give out my business number, but right now it's not ringing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so right now, um, if, you, if there's questions, they can also email me at amy a m y at ourfamilyencounter dot com. Okay, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it very much, and. Um, Hopefully our audience learned some things. I I really um, believe we covered a lot of ground today. So thank you so much for for helping us out with that. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for this opportunity, Lori. And it's great talking with you and sharing stories and uh, really digging in on some of these topics that come up. Wonderful. So again, you can go to Amy's website. Um, our family. Uh, encounter.com. We're going to hear from the All's authors and we'll talk to you on Thursday. Bye now. Hello, podcast listener. If you're caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's or dementia, you'll want to check out All's authors, the global community of authors writing about Alzheimer's and dementia from personal experience. We have the most comprehensive collection of hundreds of carefully vetted books and blogs covering all types of dementia and caring situations. Our authors' personal stories and painfully learned lessons can help you on your own journey. We also offer a fabulous podcast called Untangling Alzheimer's and Dementia, which you can find on any of your podcast platforms. Remember, you are not alone. One can sing a lonely song, but we chose to form a choir and create harmony. Find us at allsauthors.com. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.